Hello, my name is Dan Morgan, your host, and thank you for joining the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and the Brew Coats. We are happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find all things Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. Also, we would like to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can contact them for any real estate needs in New Jersey at 856-904-5636. And if you mention Process Potables, you can get exclusive savings. We will get you right in to the podcast right away. But first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Furk Animal Style. I thought you would like that, Steve. Oh, I love it. Happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. You can find everything Underground Sports Philadelphia at Underground PHI. Shout out Design Tree, our store with all our shirts, shirts, hoodies, and whatnot. We will actually be at Design Tree HQ tomorrow night doing a new episode of The Treehouse, which is their podcast. Uh, in the building, so me, Steve, and Corey will all be there hanging out, bringing some uh, special beers, one of which is what we're drinking today on the episode, actually, which we'll get to in a minute. want to shout out the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway, the official sponsor of Pro- Process Potables. You can call today, 856-904-5636, and mention this podcast for exclusive savings. If you're in the market for a house, rental, anything like that, make sure to contact the Andrew Boss team. As always, please subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and leave a review. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and on Tapped at Process Potables. And you can sign up for updates, giveaways, and more at our website, www.processpotables.com. I'm joined, as usual, by Steve, co-host at SWJones87 on Twitter. Steve, it's uh, Sunday, the NFL Conference Championship weekend. I don't know how vested you are at this point with the birds out, but... You know, sports are good. Sunday, relax, watch it. Sports are good right now because I usually tweet how dumb sports are. Yeah. So, and we finally got a fucking road win. So, thank God. Yeah. Three wins in a row, too. So, we're riding high today. And then we're also joined by a special guest. First time on the podcast, we have Nick Johnson. You can find him on Twitter at Nick Johnson underscore art. And that's Nick N I K. You can find him on Instagram, nickjohnson.art. And you can go to nickjohnson.shop for all his designs, t-shirts, everything like that. Nick, welcome to the pod, man. What's up, guys? Uh, thank you for having me. Excited to uh, you know check in with you guys. Yeah, love getting, you know, we generally bring on more of the fan kind of types to come on and still talk to team and, and get in the real discussions more than like a lot of, you know, big name beat writers and stuff where, you know, the small market, the underground, where like, you know, the process is a bunch of unknowns trying to just rally the troops and and create something so you do that a lot with your design work and stuff the stuff you you have is also i see you got the hoodie on today with uh, that kind of classic 109876 design see a ton of people showing that online so it seems like it's very well received so very very cool uh people might also know nick from like the mike scott hive tailgate stuff you're dj in the last one yeah. in that like 
army tank. Yeah, yeah we were Man, trying like to figure was... out like what kind of car is that, or like it looked like what the that Tesla truck should have looked like. Yeah, or like a fucking transformer, dude. Like <laughs> I, I was like, what is it, dude? It pulled up. I was like, damn, did Batman get like a new Batman? <laughs> yeah, right. like what? What is this? But shout out to Red Bull because that thing is crazy. I, that was a lot of fun. That was absolutely DJing. insane, man. Yeah. That was like. So that was like the third one. We went to the second, and then we went to the third. Like such a great time, you know. Mike Scott's got his playing woes right now, but you know we'll get to the hive a little bit later. But you know, you know his playing aside, like just the the like friendships and the culture that that's created is is cool, and we're happy to be a part of it. And it's something that we embrace heavily on this podcast. Uh, so speaking of tailgating, everything like I mentioned, we do have a special beer that we're drinking today, and we'll also be uh, showing this to the Design Tree boys tomorrow night because I feel like they're not, you know, they, they did show us a week or two ago that they had a little uh, little craft session, it looked like. They had two or three different uh, oh, really? types of craft beers. But, you know, hanging out with Drew at some of the tailgates and stuff, it does seem like they might be a little more of like your general light beer kind of tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I was drinking a couple of McUltras last night and, and had uh, my fair share of Miller Lights Friday night in Atlantic City. You know where you are kind of dictates what you got to do sometimes. Not not above it, but in here we try to feature the the smaller the you know quality over quantity uh, kind of deal. And so today I had to stop on Friday over at Double Nickel, which is located on Route 73 in Pensacola. I've been meaning to get there for a while because they're always putting out awesome limited release beers. I missed the one last week that I really wanted to get, which was this 13 percent stout that i was able to have on friday on tap but they were out of cans to go i think it was called uh delirious knock nocturnum or something like that oh. so, something nocturnum i i don't remember if you follow us on untapped you'll find it there but oh man it was so good i'm really upset that i wasn't able to get it to bring for us today but this one's pretty damn good too and and this will pull on the heartstrings of uh steve a little bit just with the name and the uh artwork on the can which is just totally awesome yeah and that's going to be the double nickel animal style west coast ipa you can find double nickel on instagram at double nickel brewing co or you can go to dnbcbeer.com to find more about double nickel and uh might have something in the works with them in a little bit but nothing official quite yet steve as far as this beer is concerned animal style obviously named after in and out burger a, a big favorite of yours i know and mine as well why don't you tell us a little bit about it well, I, first, I just uh, want to send out two apologies for first the people who don't know what animal style is or has never had in and out. It's thoughts really, and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. And I also apologize to people who do know the uh, the beauty of animal style. And when you're most likely listening to this, maybe on your commute to work or on your way home, you're just going to probably be a little upset that you can't have it right now. But this is this is a very good West Coast style IPA. Um, a couple of years ago, I did go out to California for work for two weeks. I had in and out th- only three times. Only three times. Um, but I definitely had my share, uh, fair share of West Coast style IPAs and liked them, didn't love them. But this one is really, really good. Maybe there is some recency bias and the fact that this can does have a nice, beautiful shot of the animal style fries and so you know the logo. Right like now. it's just this is like. This is like perfection from from the look and you know the taste and I, I highly highly recommend this. They say this is double dry hopped with Cascade Chinook and Falconer's Flight. Yeah, I have no idea what Falconer's Flight is. Neither that, do that's I. The thing that stuck out to me because Cascade, uh, fairly common in, in in a lot of IPAs, we see that a lot. But 
I gotta I gotta look into that Falconer's flight thing because if that's what's the difference between this and most of the ones I've had, then that's something I want to like identify in other West Coast style IPAs. Hopefully, because not usually a big West Coast IPA guy. If if you're familiar with us and the beers we drink, a lot of New England IPAs, the yeah. juicy hazy kind of boys and stuff like that is usually what we feature. Um, but this is really good. It's definitely the best West Coast IPA I've ever had. Nick, I don't know if you're like a big beer guy or not, but we did give you some of this anyway. Uh, you got any thoughts? Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't say I'm a, a beer connoisseur or anything like that, but uh, I do enjoy a nice IPA every now and then, and uh, this one's actually really good. I'm really enjoying this, so I appreciate you uh, sharing with me. Oh, of course, man. That's uh, That's what we do here, man. So, as far as what else we have to share Sixers-wise, we do have a lot on the agenda today. We're going to kind of skip doing game recaps, because since the last pod, I think I think they've played five games since our last pod, and I think most of the points we would make to any single game have been pretty similar in all of them. They've all been close. Their struggles from the losses have still come up pretty vividly in the wins. They just happened to be on the right side of it. I wouldn't necessarily say that it really came from fixing any of the glaring issues that exist right now. But just to give you an idea of some of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Furcon Korkmaz because, you know, that's my brand. And my shit's just been blowing up because I was right. We are the Furcon Podcast. We are the Furcon Podcast, and my guy is having a moment. And we'll continue. Eh, I don't know. So I got to enjoy this right now. So we will talk about Furcon and his recent uh, success in the last three wins, definitely being arguably the main contributor, not like the second most important reason that they have won the last three games, albeit against sub-tier opponents. Uh, struggles that they have had has been their first half versus their second half, uh, the offensive inefficiency mostly in the second half, and that also correlates to Ben Simmons. Uh, it's been talked about a ton. The last five games, I believe he scored double digits in every first half and then pretty much falls off the map. We don't know if that's a Ben Simmons thing, a team thing, a little combination of both, a coaching thing, so we'll talk about that. It's been very popular with Ben kind of going on and off, and all of a sudden people want to start debating about him and Brandon Ingram out of nowhere. (sighs) And I actually appeared on friend of the podcast, Brandon Apter's Sixers podcast, Garbage in the Gold. Check that out on Friday. Did a little guest spot just to talk with him for a little bit. I think the episode's only maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, specifically just to talk about that Brandon Ingram versus Ben Simmons discussion and a little bit of Markel Fultz talk. So we're going to do the same thing here just to elaborate on it a little more and to get you know Nick and Steve's opinions as well. Give you the upcoming schedule. There's only going to be two games between this pod and the next, so won't be a whole lot to dissect, but we will do a pod the day of that big Lakers matchup next Saturday, and I believe... Friend of the pod, Marty Teller, will be back. Oh, might really? Be joining, okay. Yeah, might be joining us at Vinyl Brewing on Saturday. Oh, sweet. Uh, Saturday, we will be at Three Threes Brewing, but that'll probably be before they open, so it won't be like a hangout or anything. Uh, we'll probably be there when they open, but not for long. And then we're heading down the street to Vinyl, so we're doing a little double header. Uh, Vinyl's where we'll probably be hanging out longer and doing a full episode from, so if you are in that area... Want to come hang out, drink some Sour Boys. I have never been the vinyl. I hear that they do a lot of really good sours, which you know we love. So looking forward to that very much. Want to talk with Nick here about you know some of the things that we share as far as like creating content based around a team that we love. Uh, you're, you're a season ticket holder too, right? Yep. So like we're both season ticket holders. 
both do design work, selling merchandise and stuff like that, you know, tr trying to enjoy this team, but also create things at the same time. So we'll talk about that in depth. So let's get into it because I need, I need to talk about Furcon Corkmaz. <laughs> uh, I gave you guys some numbers here. This, this is some stuff I came up with this morning, just trying to do a little research on my guy. Obviously, 3-0 in their last three games, and every single time, Furkan Korkmaz has played over 20 minutes in each of those games. He's shooting 52.7% from the field, 54.5% from three, averaging 18.5 points per game, and the team is 3-0. This whole season, so Korkmaz has only missed one game, which was the thrashing of the Heat in November, uh, which was the tailgate. When Korkmaz plays more than 26 minutes, which he's done eight times, he averages 13.5 points a game, and he has 14 games this season where he has scored double digits. So for a guy that, for all accounts, seemed like he wasn't even going to be on the roster, they didn't. They declined his option last year, which I was the only person in the world who seemed to be upset about. And then they signed all these one-year deals, and it didn't look like he was coming back. I think he even like said that he was going to go back over to like Europe or even play in Turkey. Yeah. Or whatever, and then all of a sudden, the entire Sixers Twitter is just confused one day when it's announced that he's coming back on like a two-year deal at the second year, I think, as a team option, and he's playing for like two million or something, like just above the minimum. And we're like, what? Like none of this makes any sense. You decline the option, but then you bring him back, and he was like demanding a trade last year, and then he agrees. Like none of it made any sense. Nobody knew what to expect. And then Brett started talking about growing a bomber. You don't have J.J. Redick here anymore. When you finally realize that you have Al Horford and Josh Richardson, the first thing everybody's talking about is, man, like, how is this team going to shoot threes? Where is the shooting going to come from? Where is the bench scoring? And, you know, this team has had to rotate through a lot of different things with injuries, with different guys playing well, not playing well, so on and so forth. But for the most part, when Korkmaz has gotten the opportunity – I mean, he's looked better than, than even, like, my wildest dreams really imagined. And especially to the people that were haters, like, at this point, it's pretty much gone silent. And I'm sure the next game that he scores, you know, four points in 30 minutes, they'll be back. But, I mean, the guy's just having a moment. And, like, you can see the confidence exuding from him. And he's not just doing this in, like, the first half or in a random quarter. Like, he's getting crunch time minutes. He's playing the fourth quarter. You know, the the game Friday night, like, I think he's, did he, he scored like 14 points in the fourth quarter, I think, or, or the third quarter. Uh, the third quarter, he, he yeah, went off and had like four, 14 points or something like that. Uh, I guess, like, my two biggest questions for you guys and see if you want to start. Is this sustainable to some degree? Obviously, like, this is like the best case scenario for him. You know, how sustainable is this? And... Do you think that this changes their mentality as we look toward the trade deadline, toward the buyout market, 10-day contracts, things like that? I'm very uh, confident that it can be sustainable because what I like is I've seen some people say, oh, he's a catch-and-shoot guy, which isn't true. Now, I've kind of noticed that um, it occurred to me, I think, during a Bulls game, like he's just really good catching passes up really high and just get like quick getting off right away yeah guys have that tendency to bring the ball down and yeah up a lot and, and he it's perfectly how it executes it but then 
you know, it, it then always what kind of seems to happen is like, especially during the second half when teams make adjustments, he does a little pump fake, like he can create his own shot. And then sometimes he just once or twice a game has like that nose to the basket where he just drives. And and I keep f- having to remind myself, oh, yeah, f- former slam dunk champion Furkan Korkmaz. So, and, and I mean, listen, who else on the bench is going to, you know, give you his skill set like, I love the hive and Mike Scott, but Mike Scott, man, he just—it's a bit of a fall from grace. Like he's his shooting is just not there. We can't expect that from Ennis and Thibel. He—he's basically you know your your guy on defense, and since the injury, you know, so like he's still working his way back to you know getting a jump shot established. And you mentioned earlier we have that team option. You know, he only one or two million dollars. So I think he's going to have to be a part of that going down the stretch and into the playoffs because some of the players I just mentioned, um, you know, notably Mike Scott are rumored, you know, to be traded, um, especially if we get, you know, a, another shooter in here. So I think, can we expect, you know, such a high, you know, percentage? Maybe not, but I, I think he definitely has what it takes to be sustainable, especially going to the playoffs. Uh, for me, like, I think you just gotta get, you gotta ride it out with him. Um, you see his confidence. You know what was the first game earlier in the year? He hit that game winner against Portland, right? Yeah. You know, like game. to me, like that really that was the eye opening moment. Like he just he had this confidence about him. I'm really big on body language. And Brett and, had the confidence to call his number. And that's crazy. And shout out to Brett for that too, because everyone, everyone, I think everyone had their hands on their head. Like, what is going on here? Why is he shooting this? And it went in, and you see the confidence now, and. Um, I think you got to ride with him. I don't know what other options you really have, you know, as far as, you know, within our team itself and, you know, not barring any trades. I, I just don't know. I think you got, he's got the hot hand, ride him out and see where you can go with it. I think that's all the only option right now. Yeah. The last time that we had uh, Marty Teller on, we talked about, you know, we were talking about Alec Burks, who is now like basically Sixers Twitter's number one target and probably because of Marty. Uh, <laughs> and fair enough, Marty obviously knows what he's talking about. But, you know, he poised the question looking at this team, and it was like, who, like, what player that's not in the starting lineup? And even most of them, you probably aren't sure they could really do this, I'd say, outside of Ben and, I guess, Tobias, maybe Josh. Um, you know, who, who can get you, like, 20 points in a quarter if they just absolutely go off? Like Alec Burks did in that game against, oh, man, I don't remember who they played, but this last time Marty was on, the night before, Burks had like an over in the first half, and I think in the third quarter drops 20 points. And the only person we could say was Korkmaz. And even then we were like, maybe Korkmaz. And he almost did it the other night. Like we said on Friday, you know, double-digit points in the third quarter br- brought them out of that, that slump, got them the lead, and they never really gave it back against Chicago. You know they still they they're gonna make a move. They still have to make a move. But I think that people keep talking about bringing shooters in. We're hearing a lot of talk about Robert Covington right now, uh, which you know we can discuss or not discuss, uh, and maybe we should. But like Covington is bringing in a guy that is basically going to fill a similar role to Corkmaz. If you want to argue what he does better or worse, whatever. But they're very similar. They're gonna play the same role. It's not bringing in somebody who is a creator who could even possibly play a little bit of like backup point guard or just like ball handler. Uh, and I think that that's really what they need. And a lot of people are saying that as well. And the more you can get out of Furkan Korkmaz, the more 
you can focus on just filling that need. And, you know, if you can find another shooter, great. You can never really have enough. But I think that the emphasis has to be put on that ball handler, that creator. And if Furkan can keep this up and, and show that he's ready to fill that role that they kind of were hoping he would take the leap and do, then it eases the front office job of, like, how many things do you really have to get to try and get this team really set to make that finals run? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And we've talked about it before who you know on this roster off the bench like if if we're down in a playoff game who can come in and, and just steal the game give you a quick 10 15 points like that's that's definitely Furcon. and one thing you look in the regular season is i know we joked about teams like atlanta or walk they're just regular season teams and well, blah, blah, blah. terrible yeah well atlanta in the past but what, what we're looking for is you know we, we said we're not a you know, regular season team, this team was built for the playoffs, but you still want to see glimpses of, okay, if he can do this in a regular season, we can expect that. And I think with just, you know, how Furcon has had some of these big games that have really bailed us out. I think you can definitely hopefully see, you know, that's a guy that could steal one for us. Nick, you were kind of giving me a little, little, you, you talked about body language. You were giving me a little body language when I mentioned Robert Covington. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on the the idea that the Sixers may be in the market to bring him back? I don't know. I mean, I, I do like Covington, but I feel like he's just a really streaky kind of shooter, and I just think that isn't what this team needs. We need more of a consistency. We need someone you know, tried and true. This guy is going to get in there and get the job done and knock down a shot. And I just, you know, defensively he's great, but I feel like we have that in Thibel already, so it's like – I don't know. I, I just I'd rather see some different. A different That's exactly pace. where I was going to yeah. go with it. Because if you look at if if you look at this team and say, all right, well, come the playoffs, where are they going to run an eight man rotation? Maybe nine, probably yeah, eight. That's really it. You're saying it's the starting five. You put Embiid back in there, so you have the starting five, and then you have Thibel at this point. Thibel, Korkmaz, a backup center. And I don't really know if there's anybody else that I am absolutely positive is, is playing a role. Uh, James Ennis would be like the next guy, I guess. Like James Ennis and Mike Scott, I, I just truly don't know right now. You bring in Robert Covington, he has to either replace Thibel or Korkmaz pretty much. Right. Like, there's not room for all of them. And at this point, do you really want to do that? Like, I, I would say that because of just the maturity level that I guess putting Covington in over Thibel might be a better immediately. But, you know, especially, we talk about being in win-now mode, and, I, and I'm all in for that, but... I also don't want to not give my rookie that is flourishing the opportunity to get that experience. Uh, like that's a really tough, like kind of thing to balance for me. Is yeah, I want to win, but do I want to win at the expense of putting this kid on the bench who has been so good and at this point absolutely deserves the playing time? Hasn't really done enough to not warrant being given the opportunity to me. Yeah, and I hate 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 to bring this up because you know we're we're Robert Covington guys. We we love sure. him throughout the years. I think the thing with Covington that some people you know clinch onto was he would have been like the perfect stretch four had everything work out with Markel, because you know Markel was supposed to be you know the the two guard the the creator. Uh, if Ben Simmons wasn't in the game, we're having an off night. Can knock down you know sh shots from three and all this, but Markel never lived up to the hype. And I know we'll talk to, <laughs> about him a little bit later, but by getting rid of him and Covington, like it's a completely different team. You have Tobias Harris um, at the three and the four, you know, depending the lineup. And I mean, 
I, what I love about Tobias Harris this year, man, is like we're getting that Clippers, you know, Toby that we've wanted that we didn't really see last year. And this guy's just, you know, I hope he makes an all star game, but he's had some really great games offensively. He does a lot of things that Covington was just never able to do. Covington wasn't good handling the ball, created his own shot. He was a mostly catch and shoot guy. He was good on transition, you know, transition offense or, on a break, but Tobias Harris, like what he brings offensively, he's an above average defender in my opinion. I mean, we th- there's just no going back to Covington. Like I love him, but he just doesn't fit what we need. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that we got the Clippers Tobias anymore. Like he's better than that now. Yeah, last season we were wishing for that because he fell off. This year he's a completely different player. The defense, like you said, it's at least average, if not above. A, a, a huge step, unbelievable. You know, we talk about Ben's growth there so much, and I still feel like Tobias is not getting nearly the recognition for making a pretty similar jump. We talk about Ben at LSU. A lot of the questions were, can he play defense? Does he want to play defense? Now we're talking about him as, like, hoping he's going to be a, a, de- a defensive player of the year type guy, at least a first-team all-defense nod. Uh, Tobias Harris has gone from, like, guy that could be hunted below average defender and my concerns weren't even necessarily about his individual defense as a whole as much as the fact that it looked like the Sixers were going to play him at the three and I just didn't think he was going to be able to do that regardless of skill level not only has he done that but his defense has been unreal and now he's a closer he's scoring from all three levels and he's doing it in crunch time even through his slumps even through everybody giving him shit even through everybody talking about he didn't deserve the deal, like, he absolutely deserved the deal. Oh, if anything, yeah. I, I there's mean, no question. Where, where is this team without so much of what he's done? I, I just don't get the criticism of him still. You mentioned Markel Fultz, and we'll get to that, but I think you did make a great point with Covington. Like, yeah, it, he would have made a lot of sense in that role, but with what they need now, and Nick said this as well, like the streakiness is just going to drive people crazy. He, he's just as able to have a streak, just like Mike Scott is right now, as he is to, to put together what Korkmaz is doing right now. And I would say, actually, probably more likely to go on the cold streak that Scott is on than put together a tear like Korkmaz is on. Because when did he ever have like three games in a row that you were like, holy shit, this guy's on fire? Like There was a game where maybe he shoots like five for seven, six for eight. Yeah. But like... I don't remember any three-game stretch where he put together numbers like Korkmaz has right now. Yeah, I feel like just Covington could just slide into a slump mentally. You see it, like again, going back to body language, you see it in his body language, the way he just looks out on the court sometimes. And I haven't seen that with Korkmaz. If he's missing a shot... He just seems like he's even killed. He's out there. You don't see him hanging his head ever. And he's like, a I chucker. Just, he ain't gonna stop shooting. Yeah, yep. and I like that about him too. And uh, you know, going back to you know Covington, I just, I, I just feel like Matisse gives this team so much of a spark when he's in there. You know, swatting balls and getting steals. Like you just feel the energy, especially if you're there at the Wells Fargo Center. Like it just ignites the crowd. And to me, I just feel like that's an intangible that, like, I just want to see. I just want to see more of that. I want to see him be rewarded for that. Yeah, that's a great point, especially with the team's home success and in general, and all of us knowing being there frequently, is that Twitter is one thing where we can see people being very hateful a lot and kind of you know hiding behind their keyboard and stuff. But man, like you know, not to really jump into this Markel Fultz thing again, but like for this bullshit narrative that came out all of a sudden now that he's had like one good game that. Philly, you know, got in his head and Philly was mean to him and all this stuff. Man, like, look at look at Matisse Seibel, look at Furkan Korkmaz, even look at a guy like James Ennis, 
when when he even makes like one relatively good play, twenty thousand people are going absolutely nuts for the bench players for these role players and cheering them on and wanting them to succeed. Like it's it's just a joke. Like when Markel was here, man, every time he ended the game, he got a standing ovation. Every time he took a shot, everybody, all they wanted was to go in. If he didn't make it, nobody was booing him. Not the way they give Ben Simmons shit for every single miss, but they nope. want him to shoot more. He was given every single chance to to not succeed and was still backed with confidence. And then when he succeeded, the place went nuts. Do you remember the first season when he played in like the last 10 games? He got like a triple-double? Yeah. The building was going to collapse, I man. was there for that game. The it building was, was legitimately going to collapse. I was there. I don't know who started you know that that whole uh, debate on Twitter, but I love how I saw a lot of probably people. Probably like, mom. Yeah, probably, but <laughs> someone retweeted that, and then they showed the, the clip from like the, you know, the, the, the Fultz champ. Yeah, uh, the Skull champ. Yeah, the Skull champ, but they're doing Fultz. Fultz. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, but we hated the like, guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh we didn't root God, for him. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it, but... Let's move on. We can kind of combine these two things together. Um, I guess find out if you guys think there's two separate things or, or if one is the other. The team's first half versus second half struggles and the same thing we say about Ben Simmons. So we have some of the numbers here. Basically, you know, do you kind of put the fact that this team seems to be a very different first half and second half team in the last five games or so on the fact that Ben Simmons has been so aggressive early and then seems to go away? Or do you think that there's an issue elsewhere whether that be a, a brett thing a scheme thing other players not stepping up you know like steve what what's your first thought when you hear the difference in this team between the first and second half of the last few games it's kind of hard to decipher because i've noticed especially the past couple weeks with ben simmons he's just so aggressive to start the game which is like but which is uh something i like to see but i've noticed like uh when he you know goes to the basket especially in transition it's it's like a video game i always compare it to for lack of a better uh metaphor like he just goes from like zero to 60 he's just so fast and he does that a lot where and that's how he you know scores those points and i've always wondered like you know well because he's being so aggressive like does that you know have an effect throughout the rest of the game like does he start to get tired mm. i wonder if that's part of it but then part of me says no because like in last night's game, yeah, he he didn't you know quite do that. He, I don't want to say he disappeared offensively because he he was still great passing, and he you know the defense there was no drop off in his defense. So I don't know what it is, and I don't know what Brett can do to to fix that. And I know a lot of times just coming out of halftime, teams you know uh, adjust to you know Ben Simmons' strengths going to the basket, but. It's hard, like, you know, is, is he just tired offensively and not defensively? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting kind of position. Uh, I never really thought about that before. You know, maybe he is getting tired, but at the same time, like you said, he's still a dog on defense. So it's like, I don't know, man. I would just love to see – I would love to be a fly on the wall in those huddles and just hear what Brett's saying to him. Like, I would love – like, I just want to see Brett get in his face. Like, dude, like, you can score at will at any time. Like – shake him wake him up like because he really can he could take over a game at any point in the game we've seen it it's just a mental thing i don't understand where it comes from and it's interesting too because uh to dan's point earlier tobias has kind of embraced that closer role and i don't really see a scenario where brett says okay ben you're gonna really you know carry the load offensively get to the basket and then in the second half you know tobias you're gonna take over and you're gonna be that closer like i, I don't see a coach you know implementing that but that's kind of what seems to happen yeah, you both make a lot of good points. The first thing I'll say is, to the point of him being tired, I mean, 
Ben's a a ridiculous athlete. I don't think it's really a fatigue thing, but I think maybe what you were trying to say, or at least the way I look at it, is early in the season we were seeing these flashes of his incredible defense, and I think after the five and zero start when they started to struggle and lose a couple games, I know myself personally, I was seeing a lot of up and down on his effort level. I was seeing like the first quarter he was so engaged defensively. Then the second quarter seemed like he was no longer running guys off the three-point line. He wasn't really super interested in making the correct rotation. He's kind of standing around a little bit. And it was just one of those things where it's like, man, if you just played like with an average intensity the whole time, it would probably be a lot better than this like 300% for 12 minutes and then this 25% right, for the next yeah. 12 minutes. Mm. So I wonder if there's something to be said about just him trying to balance that and I definitely would agree that I don't think for a while now, I'd say beyond the last even five games, maybe 10, maybe more, that I really haven't seen significant stretches of him having taking time off on the defensive end. I would say at the bare minimum, he's still playing like enough good defense all the way up to like Jesus Christ. He's taking the ball every time he yeah. wants to. And you know he can't do that for 48 minutes or 34 yeah. minutes, you know, whatever he ends up actually playing. But it does seem like there's there's less of that all the way and none of the way. So that's good. And if that is what's causing him to not be able to keep his foot on the pedal offensively all the time, then I get it. But it, it just seems like now we're seeing it on that offensive end where it's foot on the pedal, foot on the pedal. And then it's like, okay, now I'm not even driving the car anymore. And it's like, that's just what you can't have. You score 15 in the first half, amazing. You can't score zero in the second half. If you score six, you score seven, then like, okay, you're at 22 for the game. And like you said, Tobias is doing a great job in the second half, kind of picking up that slack. And if that's the way that it goes and it works for them, that's fine. And I think it works for Tobias because while Ben seems like a guy, especially because all he does is go to the rim, like he doesn't really have to get in a rhythm. He can start the game and just start making those buckets because you know he's not actually shooting. Like shooters sometimes need to get in a rhythm. I think that's what happens with Tobias Harris is early on, like he's not a guy that comes out the gate and can knock his shot down. He's got to figure it out. He's got to find it, get in a rhythm, and that's why you're seeing by the fourth quarter he's not missing. He's scoring at all three levels. He's becoming an elite driver which none of us saw coming. The threes seemed like they go in more. You know, ever since that cold streak, I think he's shooting closer, you know, somewhere between 35 and 40%, which is all you're going to ask from him. And he's willing to take on that role. He, You know, they don't need somebody else to do it as long as he can get the shot. And to a lesser degree, Josh Richardson has been the same way. I think Josh Richardson is also a guy that tends to be able to come out the gate hot. He can start hitting that mid-range jumper immediately. But I don't trust his shooting consistency as much late game as I do a guy like Tobias. And I will also say one criticism of Ben Simmons that we've seen throughout the season is sometimes when he's driving to the basket and he just isn't able to finish or score, he just makes like a last-second pass to someone and it's a turnover. The past couple weeks, the turnovers have been down. Um, and I haven't seen Ben Simmons doing that as much or you know turning the ball over with a bad pass. So if he's not scoring you know barely any points but not turning the ball over, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, and to your point, I, I have noticed that too. Like he's been going to the rim, and like you said before, he would get to the rim almost like be right in front of it and turn around and try to pass out to someone on, on the three point line. He's been like trying to finish more at the rim, which I appreciate. But it's like at this time. 
with Joel out, man, this is your time, Ben, to really, you know, make your claim and, and show, you know, you're a superstar in this league and really take over for this team. And you would change the conversation. I'm not sure if he really, like, looks into that stuff. But he, he has the opportunity right now with Joel being out and, and putting this team on his back to – completely changed the conversation about him and I would just he's doing it but I feel like he's not doing it fully and I would love to see him take it to that next level and really like just just capture that you know that that stance that position on the team yeah so some of the the splits between the first half and the second half for some guys so Ben Simmons who we're talking about mostly is averaging just shy of 15 points in the first half the last five games only a little over four points in the second half so like that's a big problem. Shooting almost 70% from the field in the first half and only 37.5% in the second half. So the shooting numbers go way down. And then another guy that I have on here is Al Horford because like he's been struggling in general. But if you look at, at his shooting, I mean, he's not shooting well in either half, but he's actually scoring more points in the second half than the first, granted on a lot more field goal attempts. But it seems like he's another guy that kind of gets going later. I wonder if there's some way to either get him going early or not need to play him as much early and and maybe keep him fresher for the second half and hope that that helps him. Because like, it seems like he's taking way too many field goal attempts to me at this point. And I think that's a big reason that even in these wins that they've been close and they're not getting there, especially in the fourth quarter. It seems like he's a guy bailing them out a lot, which I don't necessarily even blame on him because I think he's getting stuck with the ball. You know, he doesn't really have much time to do anything else but chuck that shot. And especially last night in that Knicks game, man, like, I, there were, I think, two or three possessions in a row where he ended up shooting from, like, the top of the key. Yeah. I think he shot the three first, missed it, and the next two times was right inside the arc. He missed all three, and I was like, this can't be your fourth quarter offense. The looks were there. Like, that seems like what the Knicks were giving them, and you kind of have to take the shot, but... You have to be able to design something up to get somebody else a better look or even to get him a better look than that. Yeah, Al Horford's kind of he, – he's the guy that reminds you like when, when you play pickup basketball with your friends and that like guy who's like 10, 15 years older than everyone wants to play and you're like – they're like, hey, can I get in? And you're like, yeah, I guess. And then he spends like 10 minutes doing awkward stretches and then so he starts – So it's a long came poly. Yeah, exactly. And then like, you know <laughs> – he he does like you know ten minutes of like awkward stretches that you've never seen, and then he plays and he just sucks, and you're just like, who let this guy on the Rain court? Man. But then but then towards the end of the game, he he finally you know shows up with some veteran moves, and I don't know that that's how how, how Al Horford has been to me recently. For me, I just feel like. <laughs> And I could be wrong, but it just doesn't seem like Brett's like really game planning him into the offense. Like it's just kind of like you said, you know, kind of just like basketball, like pickup game style. Like, oh, there's Horford. Yeah, you know, let's just throw it to him, and hopefully he, you know, he can make something out of the situation. I would like to see him more. I guess game plan more. Uh, I feel like you know he's a veteran veteran guy. And he knows where to be on the court. I just feel like. It's, it's kind of not really, you know, being highlighted. Uh, yeah, and in all seriousness, like you were hoping that he would, you know, flourish and rebound a bit in Embiid's absence. But I, I feel like we're not seeing him, at, you know, at the same level as in years past when he would destroy us on the Celtics. And Nick, you made a great point about scheme-wise because something we've talked about a lot in a good way with Ben Simmons is that I feel like he's been getting more involved as a pick-and-roll screener, and especially with like a guy like Josh Richardson has been very involved in trying to get him, like helping him create. And it's been good to see Ben develop things in his game outside of that whole, like, I'm a point guard role. It's like, he's 6'10", like, use him for screens. It's been very successful. 
that's something that we thought Al Horford was going to do. And especially in his time with the Celtics, he was a very, very high percentile guy in the pick and roll, both as kind of a rim runner and especially as a guy to flare back and take that jumper. And you're seeing success when Ben's running it, even when Ben doesn't shoot. Well, why isn't Al Horford being used in the same way? He should be better at it than Ben Simmons. He's actually bigger than Ben. He's a better screener than Ben because he's been doing it so long. And these are all those like little winning things that you brought him here for. And he can hit that shot when it's like in rhythm. And I think the numbers bear out that like he hits that shot much more often out of the pick and roll than he does having to just dribble into it or being handed a hot potato at the end of the shot clock. Like I think a lot of us are looking at that and saying, like you said, Steve, like, man, like the last three years we watched this guy hit that shot every single time against us. Where is it? But the context of it is important. The Celtics weren't giving it to him with two seconds left off a guy that doesn't have any gravity and is scared to shoot. They were getting him that shot in the flow of the offense and, like Nick said, scheming for it almost. And when you're doing that, one, you get, like, a confidence knowing that, like, it's drawn for you, that they trust you to do it. And you're also, like, preparing for it mentally. Like, you know what's coming. Like, you're coming down the floor and they're calling the plays. It's like, all right, like, this play is I'm going to set the screen and good chance that the ball is going to get kicked back to me and I'm going to fire Whereas it seems like a lot of times they're running this half-court offense and he's going, all right, well, I'm just supposed to stand here and possibly rebound. Oh, shit, I have the ball. Oh, shit, there's two seconds. You know, throw the shot up. Like, it's it's just clunky. It's inefficient. And it does really seem like, I don't know if we necessarily thought this was going to be the case when we signed him, but it sure does seem now that, like, they've got to try to find some way to actually draw it up to get him involved, to get him to be more efficient. Because what they're doing with him right now albeit in a role that maybe we're not super concerned about anyway because this is all without Joel Embiid, the best player on the team, and that won't be the case ideally when it really matters. You have to figure out a way to get him on track. And I wonder, too, I know one observation people always made is like, oh, over the summer, his uh, jump shot is much quicker. And, you know, you definitely want to see something like that when you're when you're trying to make a shot before time expires. But a guy who, what is he? 32 33 Orford? yeah 33 yeah, yeah, yeah. W- when you're 33 and you're just you know now you're trying to get a quicker jump shot like something you're not comfortable doing i, I mean that that's just totally gonna throw them off and I, I don't know if i'll be confident if he ever develops a shot like that but you're definitely right they need to create plays where it's just not time's running out need to put up a shot you know create these pick and rolls and things that he's comfortable and been successful doing so is that a, that's a Brett Brown thing then, right, to scheme that up? Or is that Ben being the point guard, you know, kind of on the fly calling that play? Do you well, know how that works? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I, Brett has said that this season specifically he's had to call more plays and that when he does do that, they're successful. But, like, they don't. I don't think they call a play every play. I think another thing to your point is when we're talking about this being the problem, is Al Horford not being given those opportunities? Is it a Brett issue of Brett not drawing it up, not getting him involved enough, or is it just one of those things, again, that kind of comes with having Ben Simmons and his limitations, that if you're using Al to do that instead of Ben, then what else is Ben doing? Because Ben doesn't draw a defender. He doesn't have any gravity. You either have to be able to get him down on the block, which at least right now they should be able to do with Embiid out, but that isn't a long-term solution because we know he'll be back. But is it one of those things they can't go to because if Horford's the one doing it, you know, where is Ben? He's probably not in the play at all, and then the defense is collapsing, and the pick-and-roll doesn't really work because the drive isn't a threat. 
Whereas, although Horford has been pretty inefficient here, he still does command the respect that, you know, if he's standing in the corner, a defender's not going to leave him. Like, people do believe, like, he'll take the shot, and there's still a general belief that he will make it. So, by using Ben in that, you're finding Ben a position where he is drawing a defender, where he is... Somebody that has to be somebody has to be responsible for him and using Horford as the spacer because again Ben can't be the spacer so that's where I think the difficult conversation is is does Brett want to do it more with Al maybe but can he because Ben Simmons is out there that is possibly the problem you know what I'd love to see it just I just want to see it like Brett just to draw up a play where Ben is on the corner three point wide open because he's you know he's well, going to be it. yeah. Ben, this is your play. The ball's coming to you. You gotta shoot this the, shot. The first one he made this season. That's exactly it, what they why said. Why haven't we seen that more? Like you gotta like almost force him. Like, Ben, the, the play is coming to you. This is the play. Don't don't you pass out. Like you're shoot the and ball. I, I agree with that too. And we've seen Brett be more and more vocal about, you know, we, we know that since he said I want him to shoot one a game, he hasn't taken one. And when he hit that first one, it's exactly what you said. Brett, they asked Brett, and he said, yes, like, we called his number for that one. That was by design, and he took the shot. Then, yeah, why why haven't we seen it again? Like, even if he passes out of it, then at least we see it, and then we know. It's like, okay, Brett did his part. Because that's been mm. my biggest, like, there's been argument back and forth, and we talked about it on here, and I don't really want to go into a huge thing about it, but we've gone into the discussion of, oh, you know, is Brett not, like, on him enough? Like, does Brett actually say these things to him? Right. Or does he say them and Ben doesn't respond? And, like, whose fault is that? And my position has always been that, like, I think Brett gets on him, and I think he can do it more than, you know, who, whatever coach everybody wants to bring in from the fire Brett Brown crowd because he has that relationship with Ben. And, unfortunately, my opinion is that I think it speaks to Ben that this, of all coaches, this should be the guy that you trust and listen to more than anybody, and I just don't think he is. And my problem is, if he's not going to listen to him, you think he's going to listen to the next guy? I don't. No. Like You mm, think Tom Thibodeau point. comes in here and starts <laughs> being a fucking asshole? That Ben no. Simmons is going to be like, oh, man, it's time for me to... So he's going to be like, no, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like yeah. I think he, he just like wants to up and leave. Whereas I think Brett, unfortunately for him, because it, it may cost him his job in the end, is towing that line to keep Ben happy, but also try and make him the best player he can. But I don't think you can have it both ways. Hmm. And I think it might cost him in the end. And what most people will say, and I agree with this, is unfortunately, you know, in any sport, it's like you hold on to the player longer than the coach. Like yep. If you don't know yep. what the issue is, the coach always goes first. You can't get rid of the player, not especially not one with the talent and upside of a Ben Simmons. Like, you have to test the new coach theory before you say, oh, well, he's not listening to Brett, so now he's got to go. Like, it's never going to be that. Whatever side of this argument you sit on, the reality is it's never going to be that. The only time we saw that in sports was with, Kip Chell, like with uh, Chip Kelly, oh and we gosh. know what happened there. Well, I mean, we, <laughs> we didn't see – well, well, yeah, okay. I see your point. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, where you do keep the coach. And... So not to seem like we're trying to kill Ben Simmons here, as I know I think we're all pretty – Pro Ben guys oh, yeah, overall. Yeah. Um, some cool things that I did see. So this one was from John Clark of uh, NBC Sports at J Clark NBCS on Twitter. This was a couple days ago, so I don't know if the quantity changed, but I'm guessing the people haven't. The only other players in the NBA with at least 15 double doubles that are from points and assists 
is LeBron James and Luka Doncic, as well as Ben Simmons. So very elite company to be around. LeBron James, obviously LeBron James, and then Luka, who is up there as an MVP candidate and maybe most improved. And people just seem to be arguing if you can be most improved going from rookie to second year. I don't see why that matters. The leap he's taken is crazy. So elite uh, company there. And then uh, I believe this was Wednesday that Ben played his 200th NBA game. He has 3,228 points, 1,660 rebounds, and 1,608 assists in 200 games. The only other players in NBA history to hit all three of those numbers by their 200th game, Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson. Shoo. Pretty elite company. Yeah. Ben draws a lot of Magic comparisons, and rightfully so, a lot of times, and hopefully rightfully so in the sense that it took Magic a pretty long time to figure out a jump shot, but he did get there. So, you know, if that if that's the comparison and that's the arc, then hopefully there's still hope that Ben can develop that jumper. But, uh, you know, to, to give Ben his credit, because for the most part, again, I think we're all we're all high on him and, and love what he's been doing lately, but just really want to see if they can figure out how to keep him going in the second half. And I think we'll stop having to sit on the edge of our seat against the Knicks and the Bulls, uh, especially if he's able to just keep his foot on the pedal, man. It's just interesting because how many times have you seen some sort of crazy, you know, trivial stat where it's like, oh, the only other person that has these stats except Ben Simmons or Magic Johnson or Oscar Robertson. And yet there's people out there that think we should trade Ben Simmons for only because he can't shoot. It, it's 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 just it's just mind blowing, man. And and people they don't want to acknowledge or admit that Magic Johnson didn't have a jump shot. And people like to bring up how I think in his first or second years when he played in the finals, he had to play center because. And we've seen Ben Simmons do the same thing. It's just he does everything else so great, and I just it blows my mind, dude. Well, we're gonna get there. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, so we are gonna talk about uh, the comparison that's been happening with Ben Simmons as of late. And our thoughts on that. But first, just want to give a word from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, so kind of staying on the topic of Ben Simmons, another thing that's been happening on NBA Twitter this week has been this surgence of Brandon Ingram in New Orleans and all of a sudden people wanting to revisit Simmons being drafted over Ingram and whether right now, you know, who's better, Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons? Would Brandon Ingram be a better fit on the, for the Sixers than Ben Simmons playing alongside Joel Embiid? And things like that. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, I did do a about 15 to 20 minutes on this with Brandon Apter of the Garbage into Gold Sixers podcast. So uh, you can also find some thoughts on that between me and Brandon uh, if you look up Garbage into Gold and give them a shout out. But wanted to ask you guys your thoughts on this and, and where you kind of stand on this. The biggest point that I made in talking to Brandon was, and this is you know one of the issues with Twitter and kind of just people in general. Uh, in like an online discussion like that is the conversation is never the same thing. Like people are always talking about it from different perspectives and no one ever can figure out exactly what the context is. And that creates, you know, it creates frustration. It creates animosity 
between people because some people are talking about are you know who's better just like right now like who's a better player and then some people are talking about oh well like who would be better here and some people are saying who would be who's going to have the better career but it's never defined and your opinion can change from one or the other like you may think that Brandon Ingram at the end of his career is going to have better numbers or something but you could think that Ben Simmons is more likely to win you could think that Ben Simmons is the guy that you would start a team with over Brandon Ingram if you're you know starting from scratch like there's so many different ways to look at it so I want to make sure that we are very clear on what we're talking about when we discuss these two because you know it's fair to have a different opinion depending on the context so I gave you guys a couple here, and I mean, if you guys have, have any different examples, we can definitely hit them. But the first question I wrote down is is simply, who is the o- better overall player right now, Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram? Overall, it's no question, Ben Simmons. Because I, I'm. it's not like I've watched a lot of Lakers or now Pelicans, but I kind of get the feeling that Ingram, when he's not having a good night offensively, he's done. Like, does he contribute anywhere near what Ben Simmons does on defense? Is he a creator like Ben Simmons? There's, there's just no way. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel the same way overall right now. I think Ben Simmons is the best player. But this kind of also, my next point is going to kind of go into the other questions you pose. But I feel like maybe right now with Ben's skill set that Brandon Ingram might be a better fit for this team right now as we stand this season, if you're just looking at this season right now, with what what Brandon Ingram brings to the table and what you know Ben Simmons bringing to the table right now with Joel Embiid kind of being, you know, the star you're creating around. I think, you know, um Ingram on this team would be the better fit for right now. But I do think Ben Simmons is the better player, like you said, with def- defensively and what he can do offensively and what he can project to do offensively if he gets a shot later. I think Ben Simmons is the better player. I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you, Nick, in regards to Ingram and his fit here. And that's mainly because I think we're so stuck on this idea of the shooting woes of this team right now and the scoring. And obviously that is Ingram's biggest strength. And he's having a great season for that. He's averaging over 25 and a half points a game. And his efficiency has really improved since getting to New Orleans. I don't don't bring up this kind of conversation to attack Brandon Ingram. And I think that's the, the other unfortunate part in whatever question you're asking is people always want to tear the other guy down to make their point about the guy that they think is better. They're both good players. Like you can have the opinion either way. And and I think you can make good points to it. My thought on Ingram here. So overall better player right now, I agree is Ben Simmons. And I don't think it's that close because when I was talking to Brandon, he was like, you know, Brandon Ingram has everything Ben Simmons doesn't and everything you want Ben to have. And I was like, well, you say everything, but the only thing is the shooting. There is nothing else that Brandon Ingram yep. does that, that Ben Simmons doesn't do better. So I know that basketball at the root of it is is scoring and putting the ball in the basket, but Ben still does that to the tune of you know 17 to 18 a game on average with way less attempts, with a much higher efficiency because he only goes to the rim. So I know that like you know it, we see our issues in the half-court offense, and maybe Brandon Ingram makes that smoother. Maybe that helps everybody else. But my main thought, even not trying to get on Ingram about his defensive woes or not doing anything else, because, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, I think he could probably rebound 
like we don't really even need Ben to rebound that much. He's just tall, and we use it to have him to run. We have Joel Embiid, we have Al Horford, to a lesser degree with Tobias Harris. Like if you had Brandon Ingram here, I'm not worried about whether he rebounds or not. The two things that concern me is one, if you swap them out, we're already talking about not having enough ball handlers or creation yep. guys. Who the hell is your point guard? Yeah, what other six uh, ten point guard who can defend on that? Elite level, are you, are you right? Ben <laughs> Ben is routinely having the lockdown top tier guys in this league, and the numbers support that he absolutely like checks them. Him and Josh have done it. Matisse is already starting to do it too. And my other thing is that like Brandon Ingram is a volume scorer, like not to the extent that like a Devin Booker or like an Andrew Wiggins right. or, or like a Carmelo Anthony, you know, like a you know prior Carmelo Anthony more so. Um, is but you talk about him playing alongside Joel Embiid. Well, Joel Embiid demands the ball. Joel Embiid is going to take so many touches away from Brandon Ingram, and then you still have Tobias Harris, who is going to get his shots. You still have Josh Richardson, who's going to get his shots. Like if you think Brandon Ingram is going to come in here and score at the rate that he does, that he's doing on a bad New Orleans team with nobody else, it's not going to be the case. And so one, the numbers are going to go down just as a result of that, and then two. How is he going to do on those limited attempts? Is he a guy that if he only shoots 10 times a game, can he shoot like 50 to 60%? Because if he's shooting 40% on 10 attempts a game, he's going to score about 8 to 10 points a game. He ain't scoring 20, 25. He ain't doing it. And he'll probably be a bad uh, body language guy doing that, all that. <laughs> and if he's bringing nothing else to the table, then w- what exactly are you doing? So, again, it's, it's, it's not meant to knock him. I mean, it's a, it's a futile exercise to begin with, but everybody's doing it, which is why we have to and- talk about it. And again, like we've talked in the past, people want to fire Brett Brown. Who are you going to get to replace him? If we were to theoretically swap, you know, uh, Ingram for Simmons, like, yes, Ingram fills a need. But I think, you know, what we would lose with Simmons would be much greater than that need of someone on a perimeter who can create their own shot and just score. It's just, dude, 6'10 point guards don't grow in trees. Like, he's an anomaly. And with his skill, like with what he brings to the table, you need two or three guys to fill that void. And with where we at with our salary cap, we can't do that. They, Won't even they, come close. Yeah. And they, they have two guys that try to just handle the backup minutes, and neither of them can even keep yeah. the job between Neto and Burke right now. Like neither of them's doing it. So any number of people still aren't going to fill that void. They, they you can barely find people to just back him up in limited minutes. Right and, now. and again, I, I've said this before, man. That with Simmons, it's just. Again, I don't care about the three-point shot or perimeter shot. I, I would just love to see that free throw percentage go up and maybe a nice little mid-range elbow jumper. That's something you can work on and easily improve upon. Now, let's say we were to get Ingram. Could you expect him to be like a point forward or suddenly become like a creator for other people around or you know things like that or you know coming in the league as like an average defender to really es- like that's way harder than developing a jump shot of any kind so i think with what i don't know about that that's but i get your point yeah no i mean you guys actually brought up a lot of good points and kind of actually will backpedal what i'm saying i think you make a good point about yeah i guess where would brandon ingram fit with Joel Embiid's volume that he needs, and then also Tobias Harris. So maybe I would go back on that. But I just I was looking at it from the standpoint that you know he can shoot, and we need shooting, and Absolutely. he brings that to the table. So that's the way I was looking at it. But I mean, no, there's no discussion really to be had. Ben Simmons, if he could develop that shot, he's 
clearly the better it's player. It's over. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. The whole league knows it. Yeah. And that's why he gets so much hate. Yeah. Because people are scared. Because once he has that, it's it's over. Game over. I think Ben Simmons is just like that one friend that you you see this so much potential in. Like you know he's good at, <laughs> but he's just not like for whatever reason it's 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 his own you oh, know uh, his own self like you're getting in the way. You're like one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's come on man. Point. Like we just want to see you be great. Like that's where like a lot of the you know the pushback from Ben is. That's I, definitely an, uh, an artist's take, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think you could say the same thing, you know, when Marco Fultz was here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To, to move into that real quick, I think, you know, we watched all the Washington highlights and we're like, oh, my God, like, this is the final piece. Like, this is exactly what we need. Even when we had barely seen that much of Joel and Ben together, we knew that this was going to be what was going to make them actually work together. Everyone talks about, can they coexist? Are they a good fit? Like Markel Fultz was was the thing that was going to answer any questions or concerns that people had about that, and obviously it didn't work out. Right now he's in Orlando, and you know has put together a couple decent games, and we're getting the same kind of revisionist thing where we got with Brandon Ingram on, oh the Sixers, you know didn't do him justice. Oh the Sixers made such a bad deal getting rid of him. Imagine what it'd be like if he was doing this for them now. You know, Steve, I, I we've talked about it a lot, and I don't know if if this has changed your tune. And and Nick, I definitely want to hear where you stand on this. But just to make it very clear, we supported Markel Fultz up and down as much as we could. And even now, being on another team and having to hear all of this bullshit, like I wish the kid nothing but the best. I hope he has a, a successful career, and I hope he's healthy, and I hope he has his personal life figured out and has the right people around him. All significant questions while he was here. One, what he's doing is average NBA player at best. He's playing more minutes on a team with really no expectations, and he still can't really shoot. And lastly, the biggest thing that I don't think anybody can argue is there is 0% chance he was going to figure it out here. No. For whatever reason, and that reason is not the Sixers mismanaging things with him. It is not the fans not having his back. So I don't know if it's his head, his body, the people around him, whatever one of those it is. I don't know. I don't really care. It wasn't happening here. The change of scenery had to happen. I don't regret the trade. We all said it was a bad trade, but we all knew his value was nothing. So I don't think they could have done much better. But we knew it wasn't a good trade. Nobody was sitting here going, oh, my God, we just robbed the magic. Like, we knew that the it was either both sides lose or he figures something out and this sucks. And so far, I don't think he's figured it out. But, you know, he's at least a serviceable player and, and good for him. Yeah, we've definitely said this before. He wasn't going to figure it out here. He needed that change of scenery. I know that's just a generic term people throw out the window there, but he, like you said, he's in a team and an environment where they're they're not, you know, they're not winning, they're not contending. Now, what's funny is looking at the standings, we're, uh, you know, the sixth seed, but we're only two and a half games behind the two seed Miami Heat. Orlando is a seventh seed, but we're seven and a half games ahead of them. That's a lot, man, and he's just in the team. And dude, I, I was in Orlando a couple weeks for that Sixers game. That's not a real sports town. There's no expectations. Now, did some people give Markel a little bit of a hard time in Philly? Maybe, but dude, like you said, we we supported that guy. And whether it's his issues with his mom, whatever's in his head, like it was just his issues were so unprecedented. He just forgot how to shoot, and he wasn't going to figure that out 
at the end of a bench on a team that's looking to contend now. Well, he still hasn't figured out how to shoot anyway. Yeah, and like you said, he's put up pretty pedestrian. 25% from three. He was shooting 28% here. So he's shooting worse. Yeah. Like, it's a small sample size. Either way, he doesn't shoot that many, but he's not shooting any better. Like, he's playing five more minutes, five to six more minutes a game and averaging, like, a little shy of four more points a game. I mean, you play a couple more minutes, you score another basket or two. That That's just averages. What I think it is, too, is so, uh, I've seen a couple times on Twitter, like, he has a really nice dunk or... I know, uh, I think a week ago when they played the Lakers, like he, he won that game for them in LA, which yeah, is that impressive. was the game that really, had yeah, which, to go which is impressive, but everything else is just, it's just shallow. It's not really much different than when he left here. And I'm happy for the guy. I, I don't wish him ill will or anything like that, but he wasn't going to figure it out here. Yeah. I don't wish him any ill will either. And I, we talked about I was in those in Wells Fargo Center for all those games where he got time and we were all nothing but supportive of the guy. So that whole narrative is the same as oh Philly fans threw freaking batteries at Santa Claus. Like get that out of here. But from a basketball standpoint, that like, happened, but yeah. <laughs> well it snowballs though. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mixed I mixed two situations up we there. Yeah, snowballs. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh but from a basketball standpoint, what he's doing down there wouldn't help this team and that's anything different from a player that's already on this team so that whole narrative of all oh, philly wish they screwed up they wish they still had them i don't see that i don't feel that way not at all so yeah i think i think a lot of the i mean especially the people that i'm sure listen to this and, and general sixers for I, I feel like mostly everybody's on the same page steve you you made the point that really means the most to me is like orlando's not a sports town man and like we go through this with philly all the time man like yeah for any sport for anything for any player like you go digging and you're gonna find a couple people from philly that that hate every player, that are talking shit, and then yeah. somehow that becomes a narrative for the whole place. And it's like, man, like, you know, Orlando, what are there, 18 people tweeting about the Magic? Like, I'm sure if you <laughs> find those 18 people, one of them, at least one, when they received Markel Fultz, was probably like, why the fuck did we take this guy? He's a bust. He's a bum. And now they're probably the ones saying that we're the ones that said that. I think, oh, man, somebody on Sixers Twitter found the the guy that like some guy that was arguing with a bunch of Sixers fans about this found his tweet from like three years ago. It was a man like Fultz is a bum. Philly oh. screwed up and like quotes him and, and the guy was just like, okay, yeah, you got me. Like, <laughs> gotcha. You got you got to you got to know if the receipts are out there, man. Similar situation with Okafor. He just never turned out to the player he wanted to be, and we got rid- we sent him to the Nets for a bag of peanuts. And at the end of the day, like we got two top. You no, know, we got four. Top three lottery picks. We hit two of them with Embiid and Simmons, and you didn't hit on Fultz and Okafor. Like that, that's really good. And then it, you got Corkmaz and Thibel. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the thing about the trades this is the last thing I'll say is that the issue isn't that we dealt them. Like, you had to deal, but in both cases, if you want to talk about Okafor, like, and even Nerlens, they had to go. It wasn't working. The unfortunate part, and this was just like a, a, a huge Colangelo issue, was you didn't make the deal until you absolutely ha- kept put their value at the lowest point. Like yep. That's the problem. It has nothing to do with the guy we dealt, the way we treated them or not. Or like the deal we made, like you know, at the time they were made, there there wasn't a whole lot you could do. 
the issue you should have with anything if, if you're a Sixers fan or if you want to, you know, criticize this team from an outsider's perspective is understand that the team did such a bad job, like, knowing for years that, like, these guys weren't going to last. Like, you had Noel here for, like, an entire year knowing that you were going to have to get rid of him, that it wasn't going to work. You had Okafor here for, I think, a year and a half to two years where he basically sat on the bench and you couldn't find a way to play him and you knew it wasn't going to work. And then Fultz, the same thing. that until, Like, the entire second half of that year... You, you knew it wasn't gonna work, and he was still just sitting there. Like as soon as you, as soon as you, you tried to start him over JJ Redick, and then as soon as he got benched, like you needed to do it right there because you knew that that was the end of it. And he goes and tries to seek all these diagnoses again, and like that's the problem. The problem isn't that you dealt them. The problem isn't that you couldn't develop them because all those guys had stuff going on. And I, I mean, you know, they're all they all have their flashes here and there, but none of them are or anything close to what you expected them to be when they were drafted. And at the end of the day, that's what drives me nuts with this fire brown crowd is he's playing with the cards he's dealt with, right? You can't expect him to you know, be a GM and a head coach, and it wasn't him that really drafted any of these guys. So a lot of these criticisms aren't his fault. I think it has a lot more to do with roster construction, whether it's this year or in years past, versus him trying to figure it out with what he has. Yeah, like those coaches that demand GM power, then fine. Like they've opened the floodgates, give them all the hell in the world. Brett never asked for that. Brett got forced into that and then was completely ready to give it Yeah, back he up wanted nothing yeah. to do with it. They finally brought out in him. Like he was like, I didn't <laughs> ask for this. Like, and so not only can you not blame him for that, but like he, he doesn't even get the credit for the fact that that absolutely wasn't his responsibility, and he still stepped in and did it because how much of a fucking shit show this organi- organization can be at some times. Man, like, we talk about all the crazy stories and developments and narratives we've had to go through with draft picks and whatnot. When have you ever seen a coach go through these kind of, like, rings and hoops and stuff like i've never seen a guy have to have to dance in circles like this to appease everybody does everything he possibly can and still gets this much criticism i'll tell you what i really hope one day there's a, a brett brown tell-all book documentary yeah, or documentary or something just i would love to know like the behind the scenes messes that you know, there's been plenty of there's, them. There's there's <laughs> so many, you know, process narratives and even the even you know the winning years narratives that, like somebody's got to have the info. And one day we're gonna get it, and like people are gonna crumble, mountains are gonna topple. Like I think there's still so much that a lot of us don't know. Yeah, and unfortunately, one of two things is gonna happen. Someone's gonna publish a book and. I definitely hate reading. And two, <laughs> the only way it becomes a Netflix documentary if we find out that Brett Brown has killed like eight people in the past three years. So we'll see. This took a turn that I wasn't ready for. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if, we're, if we're just going to go off the rails here, then I'm just going to completely jump into uh, getting the, to, to kind of learn, you know, Nick, like what your like motivations are, like your overall brand, what, what you are, are trying to create here. So, we know you do like some shirts and stuff. We know you're DJing at the Mike Scott, Scott Hive tailgate and stuff like that. So I don't know if like you can kind of just start with like you know where this all started. Like what was like the first thing that I guess you like created or what inspired you to start 
doing like design stuff regarding sports or the Sixers or whatever? Like what is like the origin of all of this? So kind of to backtrack a little bit further to give you more context, like I, I'm a, a graphic designer and animator and, you know, the entertainment industry, music industry. I've worked with like Wiz Khalifa and, you know, um, P&B Rock and stuff like that. So that really took up a majority of my time and putting, you know, creating for, for that. Um, but I've always been a huge Sixers fan, a Philly sports fan, and I always told myself, you know, when I have a window of time to d- dedicate to designing some shirts and designing just content around the team, like, I want to do that. And that window opened up for me. Um, it started at playoffs last year. I got some shirts off. I actually created the 10 9 ers shirt last playoff run. But uh, really, this this September, um, I kind of was just like, you know what? I have some window of time here. I'm dedicating myself to this. And uh, yeah, and just kind of just really put put the work in and it's been consistent on social media with it. So the 109876, that was like the first design you did like Sixers wise? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was that. And then it was also, I made like a, I call it the coat of arms and it's been kind of overdone now, but I was, I would say I was the first one to really use the don't tread on me snake. And I had, you know, I've seen a couple of people recently do this design where you have the initials of each player, you know, where it would be where the states were and the initial uh, don't tread on me, you know, uh, uh, flag or whatever. So I, I made a shirt like that. It was called a coat of arms uh, uh, seal. Uh, that was out in the playoffs last year. And I kind of got away from it since the team kind of jumped on that. But the 109876er shirt, I just love the song. It's got a 70s vibe. And it just so happened that, like, their whole branding this season just so happened to be 70s old inspired, school. old school. So it worked out perfectly that way. And I think people, it was just the perfect storm that people really, like, took to the to the shirt. That's awesome. So as, like, basically like you know like we try to create content through doing the podcast you're doing it through graphic design do you find that i guess there's like kind of two questions here like one do you find that you know it's easier to like be motivated do you get more ideas when the team is like successful or do you have like a harder time when they're not playing well and also like do you see any correlation to like is there a way to see like like mood in the stuff? Like if they're losing, do you ever create something that like isn't like like the ten ninety seventy six thing? Like it seems like very fun and happy. Like, yeah, is that something that like came from like them being successful? And then is it hard to do that when they're not? Like do you see any ups and downs between that? Well, abs- I can tell you like the last month I'd say of the Sixers, it's almost been not fun watching at times and. There's times where I don't even want to watch the game, but I have to to keep up with this, and it's like a struggle. But then you know they go on a three-zero run like this, and I'm super pumped. I wake up early to set everything up. I know that we got you coming on, and I'm like hyping like this is fun. This is the good part of it. And then for all we know, you know tomorrow night I'm I'm gonna be miserable and showing up at Design Tree already drunk and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, absolutely. As a creative, um, it definitely really affects my creativity. You know, early in the year there's so much excitement around the team and you know they, they got out to you know a decent start and whatnot so you know it's just fun like you said but when they're losing man and the negativity on, online it's like it, it really does make it hard because you're just not inspired to create anything and you know if you do create something and the and the overall outlook on the team is bad that people aren't going to re- want to respond to it just because like you said like when they're in a, in a slump, you just don't even want to see anything Sixers related. It just makes you angry. So it's tough. And, and to answer your question, do I ever want to make content that like kind of 
maybe pokes fun at it or it just correlates to that emotion. Me personally, no, just because I, I like to, I want all my artwork to be like fun and uplifting and I don't want to, I don't like to dwell in, in that kind of mood. So I kind of take a step back and you'll notice like the past since like Christmas uh, to like now, I haven't really been making any new, uh, I haven't put out anything really new recently. And that's the reason why, to be honest with you, I just, the team is and the energy around the team just hasn't been there. So it's just like, I'm just not, not in that gear right now. Yeah. It like, I was trying to figure out how to phrase it. Cause I, I it, it's kind of hard to talk about it in that way when it comes to, I think designing stuff around like a sports team. And then it's also kind of hard to really describe it in talks of us doing the podcast, but what I find interesting in any kind of content creation or anything like that, first off, like the, my favorite book I've ever read was a book called Torture the Artist, which the concept was just that the best art is created by people that are going through turmoil and pain. Like, unfortunately, like the most beautiful things come from people that are yeah. going through it. So the idea was that there was like this company that would find talented kids and they would ensure that their life was a series of like obstacles and perils to mm. make sure that they were creating great art and it's about a guy who works for the company and the kid that he is basically meant to mentor but at the same time he's sabotaging his life through stages like interesting he finds somebody he loves and he makes sure that that relationship ends and you know he gets a job and he makes sure that he gets fired from it so that you know he's upset and has to focus on on his art and whatnot but the other thing is that like like i'm a musician and i've been playing for over like 25 years now really and I've always found that, like, when I'm in a bad mood or things are going wrong, like, that's honestly when the best music is written. But I feel like it's not the same in in probably creating stuff around, like, a sports team. Like, yeah. I think, like, art it could be, but yeah. not this kind of art. And the same thing with doing this podcast. Like, it's really hard to have good discussions and, and like, be rational and even, like, want to just put in the time to do this when it's bad. Because, like, at the end of the day, like, we're not sitting here trying to be like we try to be as unbiased as we can and be strictly observational but at the same time like we are basically a Sixers fan podcast so right. we're fans we try to give a fan perspective back with numbers and rationale to a, to a degree but like when it's bad man like it's really hard to just figure out okay like what can we talk about like i don't just want to sit here and go all oh, these players suck this is stupid everything sucks even right. though that's what we're all just saying online yeah. all the time so you know there's ways to go about it and i think a a good example I seen this recently. It was funny. It was uh, from Kevin Taddy of Did the Sixers Win account. Is a good friend of mine. I went to school with him. He does great work. If you yeah, don't know, they're him. awesome. Yeah. Um, but he had a funny meme. Uh, I guess through this like losing streak, it was like um, always sunny in Philadelphia. Like skit. Like the gang gets to six seed. And I just thought that was like really <laughs> funny. You know what I mean? The way he did it was just so. So you, there's ways you can do it where it's funny and tongue in cheek and 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 those that if you ever see me do doing anything um when they're losing creating any art you know kind of highlighting the fact that they're losing it would be in that kind of that kind of context in that way so i wanted to ask you i saw on your instagram which we plugged earlier you guys can find nick on instagram uh nick and that's nick n-i-k uh that it, that you've you've done some design work like officially for mike scott yeah 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 so talk about that like how that connection kind of came about well it's and what the deal is with that it's crazy because it's all like a perfect storm and I, I really truly believe in like you manifest things and I, I said it and I have the tweet like even before I got involved with the Mike Scott Hive, I was like I just I just really liked Mike Scott I love the culture around him and how like Philly just took to this guy who was a bench player like no other city you would see that and I just love that story so I had a tweet like 2019 2020 I'm gonna work with Mike Scott so uh, long story short um you know, doing the t-shirts, I've talked to, you know, Z and 
got involved and got the opportunity to DJ the uh, Mike Scott Hive tailgate. And, um, you know, you see me do a couple of Mike Scott, like wallpapers, iPhone wallpapers and whatnot. So I, uh, I printed out the, uh, the wallpaper that I designed the emoji one and I had it in my pocket cause I was handing it out. It was a promotion. So after the game, he was nice enough to come to Xfinity, hang out, take pictures. And I got the opportunity to go up to him. I was like, yo, like I designed this. He was like, dude, that's awesome. Like we got to talk. And coincidentally, his business manager, even outside of that, already seen my work and it was already like in my DM oh, like that night. Yeah, like without it. So it was just a perfect storm. It was kind of like, you know, to me meant to happen that way. So um, I talked to uh, his business manager. Shout out to Mike Kane. Great guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, we want to get some merch done, official merch. They have the Mike Scott app, um, Hive app uh, on iOS where you can buy the, the hoodie design I did. It's going to be coming out soon. Also, he has like a, a basketball game on the app that I designed the background for. So you, you'll be seeing all that. And my wallpapers are on there. So that was really cool That's to awesome. have that experience. And like I said, just like I've, I just like Mike Scott. I like I like his energy and stuff like that and what he brings to the table. So for that to come together, that was like a really cool like moment for me this season. Yeah, we had uh, like the the second tailgate they did was the first one we went to. I like guerrilla style interviewed a bunch of the people about <laughs> the fact that he had just resigned and he actually listened to that episode. They put it on his Instagram and yeah. stuff and all that. So like Mike's cool with like, like not like people are just like, Oh, why do all these weirdos just like Mike Scott? But it's like Mike reciprocates it, which is the wildest exactly. part about all of it. It's like, this is a legitimate NBA player who is literally just out here talking to the fans, like working with the fans, like engaging in their content creation. Like you just don't see that. You so don't. like people don't understand that it's not just a bunch of like people like trying to like, you know, be fans and think that, that it's cool. And it's, it's funny because it's like, dude, anyone could show up. Like we showed up j- just like decided we were going to go and everybody's friendly and you make all these friends and you go to the next one and there's even more people and you make more friends. And then there's people that are literally just like sitting at home and they're like, this is dumb. Like who are all these losers? It's like, dude, you're just mad because you're not there and you could have came easily. You, you weren't, came. You weren't yep. not yeah. invited. That's the worst part. Yeah. man. Like you weren't not invited. Everybody was invited. Yep. And everybody got along. There's never been an issue. It was the really like I've been DJing for a long time and I've I've done a lot of different events and, and stuff like that. And that was just like one of the coolest, most genuine like atmospheres of strangers. Like no one, you know, people did know each other, but there's a lot of people that were just coming there for the first time and everyone was just so cool, relaxed and friendly and like you know the whole culture and and community community that those that Mike Scott Hive, you know, uh, people have created. Like, I hats off to them because I think yeah, I absolutely. think it's awesome. You know, yep. it's it's really cool. And it's funny seeing people walk around with name tags with their uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. Everyone is a part of it. There's you know? nothing else I can equate to that or relate. Yeah, it's <laughs> truly awesome, man. So you kind of already talked about a lot of stuff you have coming up. It sounds like through, through that Mike Scott app, is there anything else you have, you have coming out, like your own stuff or anything that you want to plug or shout out to anybody? Um, yeah, so I definitely keep an eye out. I'm going to get back into it, you know, create more iPhone wallpapers. I like to create things that people on Twitter can use, like an iPhone wallpaper. Like you can, you know, you can use that. It can be part of your, your phone art, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like I like to create stuff like that. More t-shirts, obviously. You know, another thing that I have going on too for anyone that's into like video games and gaming and esports, I have an uh, esports and gaming organization brand called DCX Commonwealth. And uh, kind of the same thing with the Mike Scott Hive. We're looking to build a community of people you know if you like video games in the area we throw events we have a competitive call of duty team and Fortnite team um and esports in the city is really
really on the come up. Like Philadelphia is going to be the hub for esports moving forward. So we're, we're planting our seeds now and early. So hopefully, and you know, a year or two to you know, ten years from now, like hopefully it's a brand that you would, if you're familiar with it, like a phase or an optic, just like a city homegrown brand. Uh, so if you're into esports and gaming, check us out at DCX Commonwealth and DCX Elite on Instagram. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm just going to keep on uh, creating more Sixers content as they come, and hopefully, you know, there's just uh, you know a good good playoff run ahead of us to keep it keep it going. Awesome, man. That that's great. Uh, again, you can find Nick on Twitter at Nick Johnson underscore Art, and then if you go to Nick Johnson Shop, uh, that's where you can find his shirts and everything like that. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. So like we said, Sixers tomorrow, or if you're listening to this on Monday today, uh, 3 p.m. Monday, they're at Brooklyn. It's uh, Martin Luther King Day, so early game on that. Wednesday at 7 p.m., Sixers are at the Raptors. And then uh, our pod should be out Saturday before the Lakers game. They play the Lakers in South Philly, 8.30. That's it. I think that's ABC, um, national game. I'll be at that. You going to that one? Uh, actually, I won't be. That's a that's a money maker right there. Yeah, I'm selling that ticket. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't blame you, man. I thought about. It. I like, almost lost sleep over the yeah. fact that I'm not, but I didn't want to miss that one potential finals preview. So I'm excited for that. So if anybody's at that game, obviously, uh, you know, we can connect on Twitter. If anyone wants to do a meetup or anything, but uh, we should have a new episode out right before that. Again, uh, Saturday we will be at Three Threes Brewing and Vinyl Brewing, both in Hamilton, New Jersey. And I believe Marty Teller is going to join us at Vinyl uh, to come back on the episode. And and maybe by then we'll finally finally have us one Alec Burks on this team so that Marty can just finally be happy again. Uh, I feel for the man and the stress that he goes through with this team. <laughs> I think that that I get upset and then I go online and I, I worry for Marty's entire family sometimes. Yeah, so if you hear reports of a uh, man in his uh, late late thirties, maybe streaking in the blueberry field in Hamilton, it's Marty, <laughs> blueberry capital of the world. <laughs> yep, maybe. that's right. All right, thanks everybody. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and on tab at Process Potables. And want to thank the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Call them today, 856 904 5636. And mention this podcast for exclusive savings. And tomorrow night, do not forget to check out Design Tree, the tree house. We will be in the building. Uh, that'll be up on their YouTube. We'll make sure to share it, retweet it, all that fun stuff. Thanks, everybody, and uh, trust the podcast. <laughs>